want to say thank you to you as a church, to your pastors, uh, Dave and Faye and Pastor Ray, for support. Uh, we're able to do what we do when people stand behind us, and we represent you on the field. Um, we've had some close scrapes over the years, but God has been faithful. And I'll tell you very simply, uh, I am safer in the will of God in the heart of Baghdad than you are here in Newport. God, that's the way that works. And uh, God has been good in protecting us. I have a special Easter message for you this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask our uh, sound guys to work with me on the, uh, on the PowerPoint. I've got a whole lot of scripture I'm going to read to you. Um, I created or wrote a book on angels some many years ago. In the process, it took me 600 hours of intense study. Uh, there was no definitive uh, theology on angels. I had to create it myself. And uh, what, I, what I did when I wrote the book is I, I had one question I was asking the Lord over and over again. And that question was, uh, what, is the, what, what was the most exciting moment or event in the life of the angels? And I came to believe that it was one event that took place in the life of Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, created all things. The angels were created by Jesus. And it must have been an absolute uh, shock to them to watch what happened to Jesus between the crucifixion and the resurrection, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. And we have just come through that time, and we're celebrating Easter this morning. So I, I want to take you on a walk scripturally. And the one primary question in our mind is going to be, what happened to Jesus after he died? And the primary scripture I'm going to turn to, and you don't need because we'll have it on PowerPoint for us here this morning, is Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. If we can pull that up on the screen, please. I'll read it to you while they're searching for it. There we have it. If we can make it as large as possible. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore, he says, now these words are Paul's words, and he's writing about David and a prophetic word of David in Psalm chapter 68. And here's what it says. Therefore, he says, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now that is a strange verse, and I'd like to try to explain to you, on the next few moments we spend together, I'm going to try to develop what Paul is saying here. He talks about Jesus ascending to high, on uh, to heaven. And, and when he ascend, ascended, he did two things. First of all, he led captivity captive. What does that mean? I'll share that in a moment. The second thing he did was give gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended? Before Jesus ascended to heaven, 
He descended first into the, the Bible says, into the lower parts of the earth. Where was that? He descended. He who descended is also the one that ascended far above the heavens. One of the startling facts that I found in creating my book on angels was that after Jesus died, he did not go to heaven immediately. The first place Jesus went after he died was to hell. Now, that may sound strange to you, but it is nonetheless true in the gospel, and it's also stated in the Apostolic Creed. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he told us about Jesus dying and where he went after he died. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost to thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem, and here's what he said. And he uses a prophetic or messianic psalm of David. This is, uh, David wrote these words, but he's writing them on behalf of Jesus. This is Jesus who's talking here. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's an important verse. You will not leave my soul in Hades. When Jesus died, he went to Hades. Now we have to ask several questions about that word. In the King James Bible, the old version, there are three words uh, that define the word hell. It means three different things. Uh, the first word for hell in the Greek of the, old, of the New Testament is the word Hades. Uh, the second word for hell in the New Testament is the word Gehenna or the lake of fire. The Bible mentions Gehenna 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times it comes out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. The third word for hell is the word Tartarus, and it means the bottomless pit. Now, the one thing I did is I began my study as I, I asked the Lord, if Jesus went to Hades, is there any description in the Bible of what Hades is like? And uh, yes. There is a section in Scripture about Hades. I want to read it to you because I, I'm trying to describe for you now. Jesus dies on the cross, breathes his last breath, and he goes down. The Bible says he goes down to the lower part of the earth. That happened right during this season of the year. Now let me read what the Bible says about Hades. I'm reading out of Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, notice this next verse. So it was that the beggar died. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, that story goes on and it talks about the fact that there are two parts to Hades. The righteous dead are in one part of Hades. The unrighteous dead are in the other part of Hades. We remember Jesus saying to the dying thief on the cross, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that means that Jesus went down and at that point paradise was down below. I had to research the Old Testament to find out that when Old Testament saints died, they did not go to heaven. Why? Except in two remarkable exceptions. When Old Testament saints died, they went down. They went down to the area of the righteous dead in Hades or as the Hebrew of the Old Testament says and calls it Sheol. David said, I will go down to my son. 
in Sheol. Jacob says the same thing. So when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, he, the, the Bible says, first of all, I think this is a very important point. The Bible says he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. One of the things I've learned in my research on angels is that many stories around the world, there are many stories where angels attend the death of believers. Someone can be passing and going into eternity and they'll say, oh, look at the beautiful angels. I'd like to tell a story here that took place for me about 20 years ago, maybe 18 years ago down south here in Swansea. I was preaching at a service. I talked about angels and a lady in the congregation came up to me and she said, can I tell you a story about angels? I said, please do. She said, we have just had uh, a bad snowstorm here in Swansea. And of course, as all you Welsh folk know, you've got lots of little hills around about uh, about your country. She said, uh, we came home after the ice had fallen and my husband could not drive his car up the driveway to the garage. She said, so we had to walk up from the curb. She said, uh, Sunday morning, she said, the only way to get to church was to walk down a driveway that was covered with ice. She said, I was walking in high heels. And as I came walking down the driveway, both of my feet slipped out simultaneously. She said, I smashed my head against the cement and I died. I said, oh, there must be more to the story. (laughs) And she said, yes. She said, my spirit came out of my body and hovered about 10 feet in the air. I could see my body laying on the ground. And she said, I looked over and I saw my husband get out of the car. He'd seen me fall and he came running and slipping up the driveway. He picked up my body and he said, she said, I was looking at him from up above. But she said, Terry, there were two nine-foot angels standing on both sides of me. And she said, the glory of the presence of God with those angels was so intense that I didn't want to go back. But my husband kept insisting. He said, oh, Lord, bring her back. Oh, Lord. And he called her name and said, bring her back. Finally, one of the big angels turned her and said, he's not going to let you go. So you better go back. And she went back into her body and she opened her eyes and she gave him a good scolding for calling her back. Her husband was standing behind me when she she told the story. But I've never forgotten that. There's something in the Bible here in this text. When Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels. Don't fear death or anything that death can do to you. Because when you die, the angels of God are going to be there for you. And they're going to take you home to be with the Father in heaven. Would somebody say amen? I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Now, when Jesus describes Hades, he talks about the area for the good guys or the the righteous dead of the Old Testament, and then there's a place for the bad guys or the the unrighteous dead. And Jesus declares, uh, well, the first question came for me when I was studying is, is, is where did Jesus go? Did he go to the good guys or the bad guys? Because the Bible said, Uh, As the dying thief uh, died beside him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus went to the righteous dead first, received the incoming spirit of the dying thief. Uh, But there is uh, a clear uh, 
evidence that Jesus crossed over the Gulf to the other side and preached to those who were there um, uh, as the unrighteous dead. It's an amazing scripture. It's found in uh, 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20. We're going to have to move ahead for uh, several verses I've skipped over here. But uh, we'll move to 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 to 20. For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, when he was made alive by the Spirit, he went by, it says, by whom? By the Spirit. He went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. Jesus preached to the bad guys. Now, he did not give an altar call. And I've heard people try to use this scripture uh, to create heresy and say that Jesus gave them a second chance. The Bible says Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. The word preach is not for, to preach for a verdict. It's not evangelizo, which is to preach, to, uh, preach salvation. The word preach here in the, in the Greek is the word caruso. It is to announce or to pro- proclaim. Jesus proclaimed to the unrighteous dead why they were there and how they had broken uh, the law and, and the word of God. Now, all of my life growing up as a Pentecostal in Canada, I remember stories of uh, preachers using the great battle between Jesus and the devil in hell. When Jesus descended into hell after, after he died on the cross. But as I tried to find stories anywhere of the, in the Bible of this happening, I couldn't find anything anywhere. Now, why was that? Well, I discovered, and I took this to the theologians at Old Roberts University, and I, I discovered the devil has never been to hell. Hello? It's quiet here this morning. The devil's never been to hell. Let me read some scriptures that show you that if we move to Job chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Job 2. Uh, Again, there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also from among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? He didn't say from hell. Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro throughout the earth, and from walking back and forth in it. In the Old Testament, Satan was active here on the earth. In the New Testament, in the Greek, the Bible says he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Nowhere do you find in the Bible where Satan is in hell. Now, he's going to go there. Hell is made for Satan and the angels. But he ain't there yet. Now, he's going to be there, and I'll... Uh, for those of you who are disappointed that he's not in hell, we'll, we'll get him there before the message is over. Uh, but <clears throat> what is interesting in all of this is, is Jesus saying in the book of Revelation, he says, Behold, I have the keys of death and hell. Where did Jesus get the keys of death and hell? We've always assumed, or I have, that Jesus ascended into heaven or into hell, met the devil, and took the keys of death and hell. But you can't prove that in the Bible. So uh, I, as I looked into it and began to think about it, the Lord opened up a verse to me that shocked me. 
There's a book, uh, there's a, a verse in Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, and we need to find this one because this is important. So I looked. This is John the Revelator saying, So I looked, and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on the horse was death. Now, please notice in the scripture that I put on the screen here that death is capitalized. What does that mean? I'm going to answer that in a moment. I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death capitalized and Hades capitalized followed with him. I think the inference there also riding a horse. And notice as we continue, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death. There's the mention of death again. This time it's small case. It's not capitalized. What is the meaning of that? And I'll, I'll bring this forth here in the next few moments if I can. I personally believe that the word death here and the name of him who sat on the horse is describing a personality, a spiritual being. And I believe this is the angel of death. And the horse that is following him is called Hades. And I think there is a, an angel of Hades as well. And they are wicked angels. And when Jesus said, behold, I have the keys of death and hell, I believe that he went to hell to get the keys of death and hell from the angel of death and from the angel of Hades himself. But I would like to bring a point forth to you and suggest to you that when Jesus arrived in Hades just after he died on the cross, when all of the righteous dead saw him, think of Isaiah. When Isaiah had written so much about him as the suffering Savior. Think of David and all the Psalms that David had created talking about Messiah. Think of Daniel. Half his book is a prophetic story of Jesus and, and, and the kingdom of God. And Imagine the shout that rang through the corridors of the damned as the righteous dead realized that Jesus had come to deliver them. He had come there for one purpose. The Bible says in, in Ephesians 4 that he led captivity captive. What does that mean? I want to suggest to you this morning that when Jesus ascended into hell, he came to get the righteous dead and to take them home to heaven. I believe that with all my heart. And he announced to them their deliverance. And I can only imagine the shouts and the joy after all the waiting and thousands of years, etc., etc., and all comes to a head, and here's Jesus, and he's going to take them when he, when, he, when he leaves hell and goes to heaven. That's quite an amazing scripture, really. Now, I want to show you in the Bible where the devil goes to hell. Let's turn to uh, Revelation 20, and we'll read from verse 10. Here it is. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, let's jump down to verse 13, if we can. I think we have that. There, I, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. 
another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead who were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the book. Now, notice verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The sea is a place. But notice the next words are not a place. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death capitalized. The angel of death and Hades, the angel of Hades, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That is the reason that Paul was able to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? When Jesus went to Hades, he took the power of death. And now believers do not have to die like those who are outside of God. God. I'll tell you, the, the death angel comes for people. I've heard uh, stories about this over the years. And, and uh, it, it has been absolutely su surprising to me what I've heard. I was in Bozeman, Montana, cowboy country, preaching several years ago, and a Vietnam vet who'd been in the war was in my service. He was in a wheelchair. He wheeled himself to the front of the service, and he said, Preacher, you don't have to tell me about the angel of death. I know what he looks like. I said, What do you mean? He said, I was fighting in Vietnam. I stepped onto a, a landmine with my left foot. My left leg was blown off. He said, I lay dying on the battlefield. And he said, I saw the angel of death coming for me. He said, as he came, I was a Methodist boy raised in Sunday school. And I knew enough about the gospel that I screamed out and I said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. He said, when I said those words, the angel of death turned and went away. And he said, my, the blood stopped pumping out of my leg. But he said, I know there is a death angel. I was talking to a pastor in Vancouver some years ago, pastored a very large church, and he had been a missionary in Papua New Guinea. He worked in a, uh, uh, a missionary hospital, and they, had a, they brought in a sangoma. A sangoma is a, uh, a witch doctor, and they brought him into the clinic in the hospital where he was about to administer anesthesia to the man. He said, Terry... I looked, I leaned down to give anesthesia to, to the man to put him out. But he said, all of a sudden, the most horrific look that I've ever seen on any face disguised it became a mask of, on the face of the man. And the man was screaming at something over my back. And he said, he said, no, not yet. No, not yet. Screaming. And he said, whatever it was came over my shoulder. He said, I, I felt the presence of it come down into his face. The guy closed his eyes. He said, I took his pulse and he was gone. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, if you're separated from God, the death angel has the right to come for you. But I'll tell you, friend, if you're covered by the blood of Jesus, Satan can't touch you. He has no part in you. The angels of God come to take you and me to be home with the Lord. Now, how many of you would like to see me get the Jesus out of hell before this service is over? You think that'd be a good idea? All right, let's, let's move to Easter Sunday morning. This is so powerful. Easter Sunday morning... 
the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God comes down into Hades. And Jesus is made alive by the Spirit of God. And he comes up out of Hades. And I want to suggest he's bringing the righteous dead with him. And I'll explain this in a moment. But as he comes up out of the grave, his spirit comes into his body and uh, he sees Mary Magdalene, who's come first thing Easter morning to anoint his body for burial. But when she gets to the empty tomb, the the stone is rolled back. The body of Jesus is not there. Let me read to you some verses that, that share that. And as Jesus, Jesus appears in the garden, and there's Mary weeping. And Jesus said to her, I, this is now John 20, verse 15. There we go. You're on it. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, or teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. The King James says, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God. Right then, Jesus said, I'm ascending. I went to a Greek scholar in, uh, at Oral Roberts University, and I said, tell me the Greek of what Jesus says to Mary when he says, don't touch me. He said, Terry, the word in the Greek, the phrase in the Greek is, don't touch me because I am on my way to my father right now. Right now. Easter Sunday morning. Go and tell my brethren. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father. That's what I'm doing this morning. Everybody say Sunday morning for a moment. Morning. I can't hear you. Say it again. Morning. Now, I'll tell you why in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints could not go to heaven. It's because there was no blood on the altar before God in heaven. Jesus had not yet died. One of the most important things for you to know on Easter Sunday, which is today, and this is what happened today, 2,000 years ago. Jesus came out of hell, and he brought his blood to the Father. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 about Jesus and the blood. Uh, Hebrews nine twelve. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for mankind. Jesus went to heaven with his blood Easter Sunday morning. Now, say it again, Sunday morning. morning. Jesus said to Mary, don't touch me. I haven't gone up yet. I'm on my way up. But Sunday evening, everybody say Sunday evening. He appears to the disciples. Go to your Bible and follow it through. He appears to the disciples and said, reaches out his hand and says, touch me. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. He didn't say flesh and blood. Why? Because he'd been to heaven with the blood and made sacrifice for the sins of the world by putting his blood on the altar before God in heaven. Would somebody say amen? This was a part... 
this was a part of Easter. This is what all transpired during Easter. He's first got to take his blood to heaven and make an entry for the dying or for the saints who had died in the Lord. And then he comes back and Sunday evening, he says, come on, Thomas, take your finger, put it in the nail prints, put your fist in my side. But he didn't say, I am flesh and blood. He said, I am flesh and bone. Where? Why? Because he left his blood in heaven as a cover for man's sin in the presence of God the Father. Now, let me show you why I believe what I believe. There's a strange verse in Matthew. A lot of you have looked at this verse over the years and tried to understand it, but here's what it says. And the great, this is now when Jesus died, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection, and they appeared to many in Jerusalem. I've added one verse there. I didn't get verse 53. But they came out of the graves after his resurrection and appeared unto many. Who were these strange people that were raised from the dead Easter Sunday morning? They were the righteous dead that Jesus was transporting from Hades to heaven above. And the resurrection power of Jesus was so intense that several of them came out of the tombs or their own graves and they walked the streets. Somebody say, praise God. That's why they were there. That's a testimony. That's why we know the saints were on their way to, to heaven with Jesus. You learning anything this morning? I hope you are. I want to close what I have to say. In my study in the book on angels, I said, Lord, there must have been some place somewhere where you met the devil and stripped him of power. And the more I studied, I found the verse that mentions that, and it's Colossians 2, verse 15, one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. Look at it with me carefully. This is Jesus. It says, having disappeared, disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it first of all who are principalities and powers Hebrews uh, 6 12 tells us that uh, we wrestle not with flesh and blood but principalities and powers the same words those are uh, demonic angels and demonic powers we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers. Go back to the other verse now in Colossians 2, if you would, please. I want to look, examine this with the audience. Now, notice, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. That word disarmed in the Greek is an incredibly interesting word, and it appears uh, in other translations in a little different form. In the old King James, the word used there is having spoiled Spoil. That means to take all of the wealth of an army, to, to, to just take everything they've got, having spoiled principalities and powers. Another translation, the NASB, says, and having stripped. The word strip is so dynamic in the Greek, it means to strip naked. This is Jesus meeting the devil on the way to heaven with the righteous dead. His establishing for... Notice... He made a public spectacle of them. 
He's doing this publicly, not so that mankind can see. He's doing this for the angels. Two-thirds of the angels are good. One-third of the angels are evil. But Jesus is making a spectacle of Satan for the entire universe of angels to watch. Now, here's the word. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, the word that is interesting, and Pastor Ray and I were talking about this word on the way to church this morning. The word in that in that verse having disarmed it's an unusual word in the Greek language in fact it's not a Greek word why it is so spectacular the meaning behind this verse having disarmed principalities having stripped having spoiled principalities and powers the word used there as that verb is the word apec duomai and I'm going to have to spell it for you so you'll understand what I'm saying. Apec Duomai is spelled A-P-E-K-D-U-O-M-A-I. Now, what is so unusual about this word in the text is this is not a Greek word. This is a Roman word. Paul used a Roman word, Apec Duomai, which describes a Roman armistice signing celebration. And he inserts that word into this verse. And having apeduomai, principalities and powers, that means and having stripped, having spoiled, having disarmed, whatever words you want to use. But let me describe the stripping ceremony. When the Romans had beat another nation on the field of battle, in fact, historically, uh, you have records of the Romans right here in the UK and right here I, I understand there's Roman ruins right uh, right here in, in Wales where, where you live when a Roman general defeated another general on the field of battle he would demand that the defeated general show up for an armistice signing ceremony they lined up on the battlefield the Roman general would stand with all the medals on his chest everything and all of his officers would stand beside him on both sides and the army. And they would face the defeated army on the field of battle. The defeated general had to wear all of his uniform, his medals, uh, any, anything of significance. Uh, every, every part of his re re full regalia was there. If there were gold, gold braid, epaulets on the shoulders, whatever. They would sign the documents seated on a table on the battlefield. The Roman general would step up first and sign the papers of victory. The defeated general would step up and sign the papers of defeat. And then, while the drums rolled in the background, the Roman general would step around the table to the defeated general, and one by one, he would start to rip the medals off his chest. And he said, all of these are mine by right of conquest. What you were, I now am. The titles you held are now mine. <clears throat> your armies will now obey me, and your nation will forever be subject to my rule. What your name was, I take by victory, and my name is greater than your name. This was the, the words of the Roman general. Now, this doesn't mean a lot to us today. 
But I tell you, if you're an American, this means a whole lot. Why? World War II came to an end in Tokyo Harbor, September 2nd, 1945, with General Douglas MacArthur on board the ship, the USS Missouri. The Japanese generals were all in attendance there on board ship. And while the cameras of the world rolled, and you can find pictures of this if you want to, the Japanese signed the papers of defeat, MacArthur signed the papers of victory, then he stepped around the table and one by one began to rip the medals off the chest of the Japanese general. Why? He was a student of Roman warfare. At West Point, he found out this is the way the Romans did it, and he determined that he would do it the same way. Now, what is absolutely incredible here, folks, and I hope this explodes inside your spirit when you catch it, is that Jesus had what Paul calls a Roman apex duomai with Satan. I believe it happened on, resurre on Resurrection uh, Sunday after he'd been raised from the dead. Was, uh, he has the keys of death and hell. He says, Mary, don't touch me. Did you know in the Old Testament when the high priest was bringing the blood into the Holy of Holies, if anybody touched the high priest on his way into the Holy of Holies with the blood, the high priest would be smitten dead by the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God in the Holy of Holies. Why did Jesus say, Mary, don't touch me? He was on his way into God's presence, bearing his blood and leading the righteous dead with him. Many of them who had been walking the streets of Jerusalem, would someone say, praise the Lord this morning? But what is important here is the universe is watching. Angels are watching. Good and bad angels, they will never forget this. That, that is why I chose this as the most important uh, happening in the angelic world. Can you see Jesus stepping around the table of victory and stripping the medals from Satan's chest? I have a greater name than you have. Your name was Lucifer, which means day star. I am the bright and morning star. You were a liar and are the father of lies. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he pulls off that medal. Your name is deceiver and tempter. I am lawyer and advocate, and I take your power, and I have a greater name. I saw you as lightning fall from heaven, but I am the lightning that shines from the east unto the west. I have a greater name. You are the hinderer. I am the parakletos, the one called alongside to help. You are the old serpent, the devil. I am the serpent that was raised in the wilderness on the, the tree for the healing of the nations. You are an angel of light. I am the light of the world. You are the accuser of the brethren. I am their counselor. You, you are the prince of the power of the air. I am king of kings and lord of lords. You were, you were a son of God. I am the son of God. When Satan is totally embarrassed, Jesus turns to the righteous dead and says, Come on, it's time to go home. As they rise into the heavens and get close to the gates of heaven, 
Jesus throws back his head and says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. And the sound comes out of heaven. Who is the King of glory? Jesus says, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And the gates of heaven swing on their hinges. And Jesus comes walking down heaven's grand avenue, bearing his blood. His Father is on the throne. Behind him, the righteous dead are dancing because for the first time in all these years, they're now free. They're coming into God's presence. They're going to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. Can you see it? Can you see the spectacle? That's what we're celebrating here today. That's what we're celebrating this morning right now. One verse in closing. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, you're never going to hear a simpler gospel message than this. It may sound complicated, and so many different scriptures are tied up in it, but the bottom line is this. This is Easter morning. This is the morning that symbolizes the day Jesus came forth from the tomb. He is victorious over death and hell and the grave. He is the Son of God who is going to rule forever and ever down through the eons of time. He is the Son of God and we are His children. But you may be here this morning and you may never have invited Christ into your heart. There may be be sin in your heart that separates you from God. Jesus came from heaven, took our sin, bore our pain, took our sicknesses and our griefs. He bore them on our behalf that we might by faith walk into the freedom as children of God himself. Right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to ask very simply, are there people in this meeting this morning who want to invite Jesus Christ into their heart. You don't want the angel of death to have access to you. You want to have freedom in the grace of God and live with Jesus for the rest of your life. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, I'm going to ask you to quietly slip up a hand anywhere in the room. Pastor Dave, I'm going to ask you to come forward if you would, please. Anywhere in the room. Yes, I see a hand raised. God bless you. Someone else, anywhere in the room, hold up a hand. Say, preacher, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Someone over here on this side of the back. God bless you. How many others? As we look across the room, preacher, I want the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. I want to be a child of God. 
Is there another? Anywhere in the room? You'll hold a hand up. Another one over on, on the, the side at the back. We see that. God bless you. God bless you, Pastor Dave. I'm going to ask you to take it at this point.